Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Let's open in prayer. Lord, I pray that you open our eyes that we may see the wonderful things that you have for us in your word this morning. Help us to focus on what you want us to learn. Help us to be willing to obey it, even when it doesn't make sense. Make us men of your word today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, when I think about this Bible study, I think about Psalm 133, which is one of the Psalms that I'm covering uh, this morning, um, but I won't be covering it in detail, but I will read it. It says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And that's what I think of when I think of Saturday mornings. I think of all these men coming together and dwelling in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Joe Danko. Oh, no, no. On the beard of Aaron. On the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes, it's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the, on the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You know, as you know, when you're covering so much material, it's impossible for us to do it justice. So I have to, like, focus in. And so... That's what I'm going to be doing this morning. You know, last week, though, I want to start. Pat mentioned a lost psalm that's not in our Bibles, referred to as Psalm 151. It's true. Uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which we call the Septuagint, includes an extra psalm, which is often referred to as Psalm 151. And it is said to be written by David after he slew Goliath. And here's how it goes. It's short, so I can, I can read it. I was small among my brothers and the youngest in my father's house. I tended to my father's sheep. My hands made a harp. My fingers fashioned a lyre. And who will tell my Lord? The Lord himself. It is he who hears. It was he who sent his messenger and took me from my father's sheep and anointed me with his anointing oil. My brothers were handsome and tall. But the Lord was not pleased with them. I'm sure his brothers love that verse. Uh, <laughs> I went out to meet the Philistine, and he cursed me by his idols. But I drew his own sword. I beheaded him and took away disgrace from the people of Israel. So it is true. It's in this Septuagint. There's a couple of reasons why it's not included in our Bibles. One is that the psalm is not part of the traditional Masoretic Hebrew text. Another is that traditional Judaism considers Psalm 151 to be part of the Apocrypha. And then a third is that even though Psalm 151 appears in the Septuagint, the translators of that version marked it as, quote, not of the number. They didn't consider Psalm 151 to be a, a, an official part of the biblical canon. So my opinion on this is I'm glad they left it out. I mean, there's nothing in it that contradicts scripture or anything like that, but it just seems like it would be better fit in like the books of Samuel or Kings or something like that. If you, when you, when you read it, it doesn't fit in the Psalms because as the Psalms progress in number, they move from lament to praise so much so that the last five Psalms are all about praise. And so here's my plan for this morning. I'm going to share just a few remarks about the book of Psalms in general, then a quick overview of book five of the Psalms, and then we're going to spend a good chunk of time looking at Psalm 119. And after that, I'm hoping that we still have time that if there's any of you here that have a psalm that's in this section that you would like to share that really stood out to you in your reading this week, I want to give you the opportunity to share with, with the others what, what you're learning through the psalms. So 
and we've talked about the Psalms the last couple of weeks. So I, I, I try, I'm trying not to like duplicate what the other guy said. The book of Psalms is the third longest book in the Bible with 150 Psalms in the collection. Does anyone know what the longest book of the Bible is? Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the longest book of the Bible with over 33,000 words. So Jeremiah is the longest book. Genesis is the second longest. And then Psalms is the third longest. The Psalms are composed over a period of approximately a thousand years and written by more than 10 authors. Although King David was the primary author who wrote at least 73 of them. And I like here what this uh, Peter Kreft, this author and professor, says about the Psalms. He says, the Psalms are like an ocean fed by many rivers and many writers. They are for wading in, bathing in, swimming in, surfing in, boating in, and even drowning in. For even the mystics have loved and used them too. The Psalms will last forever. It's hard to think about our Bible without Psalms. Because they're so, they're just so meaningful. They're, they're, they're like written down prayers. Let's talk about Jesus in the book of Psalms. Jesus used and quoted Psalms more than any other part of the Old Testament. Nearly half of all the direct quotes taken from the Old Testament, quoted in the New Testament, come from the Psalms. In fact, the book of Psalms is either quoted or alluded to 103 times in the book of Revelation, just the book of Revelation, and 149 times in the gospel accounts. Jesus began and concluded his earthly ministry by quoting from the Psalms. In John chapter 2, verse 17, it says that his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And that's a quote from Psalm 69, 9. And then when Jesus was on the cross, Luke chapter 23, verse 46, Jesus calling out in a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said that, he breathed his last. That was taken from Psalms 31, verse 5. So, and then I love this, that Jesus claimed that the Psalms were written all about him. In, in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, it says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. That must be why he referenced the Psalms so many times in his ministry. And then during the Passover celebration, it was customary to recite Psalm 136 or Psalms 113 to 118. And it's believed that Jesus probably recited or sung those Psalms that, during his Last Supper. So what does the Psalms teach us? Well, many of the main of the Bible's main ideas uh, are echoed in the Psalms. Praise, thanks, thankfulness, faith, hope, sorrow for sin, worship for God's loyalty, love, his unwavering help. The writers of the Psalms always express their true feelings. That's one of the things I love about the Psalms. Whether they're praising God for his blessings or complaining to him in times of trouble. And they teach us that no matter what we're going through, we too can praise him and await the victory. The Psalms teach us to praise. They teach us about prophecy. They teach us about pain. You see so much pain in the Psalms. The psalmist going, through, you know, expressing his pain to God. There's, they teach us about petition, how to offer up requests. They teach us how, actually how to pray. I mean, I don't know about you, but I learned a lot about prayer just by meditating on the Psalms. And actually praying through the Psalms is a great discipline to learn. The Psalms are like poetry. The psalmist pens his words in a poetic fashion meant to be sung often. So our focus is going to be on book five this morning, which is Psalms 107 to 150. And we, we talked a little bit about this in the past weeks. Why book five? Well, because... 
The Jewish people divided the book of Psalms into five books to align them with the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So book five is aligned with the book of Deuteronomy. In Psalm 117, it says, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. That's the shortest psalm in the Bible. It's a, it actually, it might be the shortest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 117, a great place to start memorizing. It's a great, it's a great verse, too. And by the way, if you take a Bible and you open it right in the middle, where does it land? It lands right in Psalms. And if you do it correctly, it should land right in Psalm 118, which 118 is between the shortest chapter of the Bible and the longest chapter of the Bible. Now, many of you will go home and try this and it won't work. And it's not going to work because you have all this stuff at the end of your Bibles. You know, it has to be like, the, you know, just the Bible for that to work. 15 of the Psalms in this section, uh, 120 to 134, are called the Song of Ascents. And they were sung by the Jewish people as they made their way up to Jerusalem in the annual feast. And by the way, if you go to Israel with me, we will do this. When we go into Jerusalem, we will sing a Song of Ascent, which is really, really cool to think about how they did that. And how we can do that even today. So a verse that came to my mind, trying to connect Deuteronomy with the book five of the Psalms, is Deuteronomy 29, 29. And it says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. The things revealed, the things revealed about God is what these Psalms are all about. Now, this is the men of the word Bible study. And what it, you know, one of the most appropriate places for us to spend time together, especially considering the section, the, the, the chapters we're considering would be to look at one Psalm, which is Psalm 119. Because this chapter teaches us about the greatness and the glory of God's word. And it should encourage every single one of us that what we're doing here on Saturday mornings is not a waste of time. It's worth every second to spend time in God's word. The purpose of this psalm is to celebrate God's word and instruction to his people. It's used by the Jewish tradition to celebrate the Jewish New Year. And this holiday is the first of a series of holidays, which in English is translated the days of awe. The days of awe. I like that. It's fitting to use this psalm in, the, in this setting because the psalmist beautifully expresses awe and adoration for, of God and his word. And one of the verses that's commonly used is verse 72 of Psalm 119. It says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about Psalm 19. Here's a quote from him. He says, quote, This wonderful psalm, from its great length, helps us wonder at the immensity of Scripture. From its keeping to one subject, it helps us adore the unity of Scripture. For it is but one. Yet from the many turns it gives to the same thought, it helps us to see the variety of Scripture. I bear witness that this sacred song is charmingly varied from beginning to end. Its variety is that of a kaleidoscope. From a few objects, a boundless variation is produced. In the kaleidoscope, you look once, and there is a strangely beautiful form. You shift the glass a little, and another shape, equally delicate and beautiful, is before your eyes. So it is with this psalm, end quote. It's a great quote, isn't it? So we can say that Psalm 119 is a kaleidoscope to the glory and greatness of God's word. Now, before we dive in, 
just a little bit about the structure of Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is, is composed of 22 different stanzas because the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters and each stanza is every, the first word of, of every verse starts with the letter of that, that letter of their alphabet. And there's a tradition in the Eastern Orthodox Church that King David used this psalm to teach his son Solomon both the Hebrew alphabet, but also the alphabet of the spiritual life. Some people think that 176 different people wrote one verse to put this psalm together during the exile of about 450 B.C., so what I'm saying is we don't know who the author is of this particular psalm. But I think that it might be Ezra. Other people think that it was the priest prophet Ezra who wrote all of Psalm 119. And I think it might be Ezra in light of what Ezra 7.10 says about his life mission. Ezra 7.10, it's a great memory verse, by the way. It was actually Jerry Bridges' life verse. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Ezra was a teacher, and this psalm was written by a teacher. So I kind of vote for Ezra as being maybe the author of this psalm. Well, I guess we'll find out one day in heaven, won't we? As far as the length of the psalm, it's about the same length as the books of Ruth, James, or Philippians. Many have memorized the entire psalm. Maybe you know someone who has. A couple, like people that stood out to me, Blaise Pascal memorized the whole Psalm 119. William Wilberforce memorized Psalm 119. David Livingston, the famous missionary, memorized the whole psalm. And then there's two interesting stories that I found related to this psalm. Matthew Henry has one of the best commentaries that, that's, that's out there, and it's, it's been around for 200 years. Well, he was introduced to Psalm 119 as a child by his father. His father is Philip Henry, and he told his children to take one verse of Psalm 119 every morning to meditate on. Thereby, he would go through all of Psalm 119 twice in every year. And... His dad said to his children, that will bring you to be in love with all of the rest of scriptures. And, you know, maybe it was that practice as a child that led Matthew Henry, why he loved the Bible so much. And he spent so much time writing this commentary that is a, that still exists, is around today. Pretty, pretty amazing. But then I found this, this story, this guy named George White Weisheart. He was the Bishop of Edinburgh in the 17th century. And by the way, there's another George Weishart a hundred years earlier that was uh, a, a believer who was put to death for his faith. But this George Weishart had the same name and he was condemned to death for his faith. But when he was about to be put to death, he made use of a custom that allowed the condemned person to choose one psalm to be sung. You see where I'm going with this? There was a custom. You could sing one psalm. Guess which one he picked? Psalm 119. Before two-thirds of the psalm was sung, his pardon arrived and his life was spared. Can you believe that? If he would have sung one of those shorter psalms, he would have been dead. It's a true story. True story. Psalm 119 literally changes his life. Okay, so let's dive in. Big Dan, would you read Psalm 119 verses 1 to 8? And I just want everyone to notice how many different words are used to describe God's word. That's one of the beautiful things about Psalm 118, and we're going to look at some of those. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no, wrong, do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. 
Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. What I want to do now is just look at the top seven Hebrew words used to describe God's word in this psalm. The first one is the word law or Torah, which is, which is used 25 times. And we find it here in verse one. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. The word law or Torah, its parent verb means to teach or direct. Therefore, coming from God, it means both law and revelation. It can be used of a single command or of a whole body, body of law. And then it's, it's repeated 25 times in this psalm. And so it's also the word law in verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. The second word, which we find in verse two, that Big Dan read, is the word testimonies. And that's the Hebrew word idat. It's used 23 times in this psalm, and it's related to the word witness. Makes sense. To obey his testimony signifies loyalty to the terms of the covenant bet made between the Lord and Israel. So that's, a, that's another word that's used to describe God's word. The third one is precepts. Precepts used 21 times. This word is drawn from the sphere of an officer or overseer a man who is responsible to look closely into a situation and then take action. So the word points to a particular instructions of the Lord as one who cares about detail, says Derek Kidner in his commentary. And so in verse four, it says, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. And then in verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Another word is the word statutes, which is found 21 times in this psalm. This noun is derived from the root word engrave or inscribe. The idea is the written word of God and the authority of his written word, declaring his authority and power of giving us his laws. So verse five, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. And then verse eight, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Part of what I'm trying to get across here is that whole idea of the kaleidoscope. Okay. That, that we don't just use one word to describe God's word. It's a kaleidoscope and it keeps changing and you, you see it from different angles and it's beautiful every time you see it. And, so the, another word is commandments, misbah, misbah, used 22 times just in this psalm. The word emphasizes the straight authority of what is said, the right to give orders, Derek Kidner says in his commentary. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. And then in verse 10, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And then there's the word judgments. Mispatim, used 23 times in Psalm 119. Means to judge or determine, regulate, regulate, order, and discern. Because they judge concerning our words and works. So we see this in verse seven, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. The word rules there is the word judgments. With my lips, I will declare all the rules or judgments of your mouth. So to find this, the, uh, the, the last one that I'm going to mention, and by the way, that's just seven of them. That's just the top seven. There's like many more used. We could spend a lot of time with all the different Hebrew words used. Ray, could you read um, chapter 119, verses 9 through 16, please? 
How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. I love Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11. The great memory verses, especially when you're discipling men, right? Because... You know, we all know that every man struggles with pride, greed, and lust. <laughs> and so we need to combat those with God's word. And so I know for myself, Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11 have come to my rescue many a time. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And when I think about that, hiding God's word in my heart, I think if I have to, if I'm hiding it in my heart, I have to know it in my mind first. So that's why I need to scripture memory is so important. It's not something I have to do. It's something I get to do. I can reprogram my mind according to God's word. So, but that brings us to the last word I'm going to mention, which is the word word, debar. And there's actually a couple different Hebrew words that are translated word. And so when he says, by living according to your word, that's the word debar. And the idea is it's a spoken word. It's God's revealed word to man, proceeding from his mouth, revealed by him to us. And man, thank God for his word, right? None of us would be here this morning if he hadn't revealed himself to us through his word, debar. So there's a few more sections of the psalm that I would like, like us to reflect on. Could somebody volunteer to read, and I'm going to jump around now, verses 17 to 24. Dave, Dave. You will bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep thy word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide thy commandments from me. My soul is crushed with longing after thine ordinances at all times. Thou dost rebuke the arrogant and the accursed who wander from thy commandments. Take away reproach and contempt from me, for I observe thy testimonies. Even though princes sit and talk against me, thy servant shall meditate upon thy statutes. Thy testimonies are in my delight at all times, and they are my counselors. Thanks. So, verse 18, I, I'm basically just sharing some things that really stuck out to me, like just sections that stuck out to me. Verse 18 is a powerful, powerful verse, and I've made it a habit to reading through the Bible every year, and I've been doing it for the last 25 years, and I hope to do it by God's grace for the rest of my life. And one of the things I do before I read the Bible is I try to pray this verse. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things you have from your law. So that whole idea, the, the verb there, open, is, the, is the, the same verb that's used in the story of Balaam. Where, remember when, ba when God opened the eyes, uh, the, the angel of the Lord that's standing in the road there. It's the same word there, open my eyes. And so when we read the scriptures, we're not just reading a book, but we're reading something that's supernatural. And I just love the idea. Uh, I love the heart of the psalmist here that he's asking God to open his eyes. Prayer is an important and often neglected part of Bible study. Sometimes we can just make it very academic. And, you know, I went to seminary in my early 20s. And they always used to, the big joke was if you go to seminary, it's like going to cemetery. Like that's where people die. Their, their faith dies, right? And it's because you end up academically studying the scriptures instead of devotionally studying the scriptures. 
but I just love this verse, open my eyes. And then, and then just, you know, verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors, counselors. I love that, that pers personification there, that the God's word is like a counselor. And that's one of the things about this Psalm that commentators will say, it's a little bit over the top as far as like, it's, it's almost like so personal, which, you know, makes sense because, you know, we have the written word and then we have the living word, Jesus, right? Who embodies and lived out Psalm 119 to a T. Okay. Could somebody read? Uh, we're going to skip way ahead now to verse 105, 105 to 112. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. I love, you know, verse 105 is another verse that I've memorized in the past. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And it goes, how many of you guys all know the Amy Grant song, you know, right? We've all heard that, right? Yeah. But I just love this verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Imagine walking through a dark and unfamiliar place, stumbling and unsure of what's the way ahead. But then a light shines, illuminating your path, revealing the obstacles and guiding your steps. That's what God's word does for us. It serves as a lamp that brings clarity and understanding to our journey of faith. In this section, instead of reading the whole section, it's, it's section 129 to 136, because I want to leave time. I want to hear from you guys which psalm stood out to you this week. But I love this verse... Uh, 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I love that idea of the unfolding of God's word, how God unfolds his word to us. At times we may find ourselves feeling lost or uncertain or lacking wisdoms as we face life's challenges. We may struggle to discern the right path or to understand the purpose behind our circumstances. But the psalmist reminds us that God's word is a beacon of light that illuminates our way and imparts wisdom, even to the simplest of minds. But the whole idea of the unfolding of God's word, it requires our participation. We must engage with it, study it, meditate on it. We have to dwell into the pages of scripture. That's when the Holy Spirit can get a hold of our hearts. We have a part to play in it too. Like we have to take, take action. And then I think, my, I think this is my final one. Oh no, maybe there's two more. Your promise is tried and your, and your servant loves it. Just the whole idea of the promises of God and how the Bible is full of thousands and thousands of promises that God has made to us. And all of them have proved themselves to be true. And I just love that the psalmist even brings out the promises of God here. Okay, the very last verse of this psalm is kind of an interesting verse. Um, it's an interesting way to, to close out this, this psalm. The psalmist says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I, I do not forget your commandments. Wow. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, after all he wrote about God's word, his very last thing he says is he's talking about going astray. And what I think that reminds me of is that the Christian life is a struggle. It's a struggle. And at any moment, we can go astray. We have to be on guard. You know, there are moments when we, we feel distant from God. At times we find ourselves wandering away from the path of God that God has set before us. We make choices that lead us astray, and we feel the weight of our own shortcomings. 
But in the midst of our wanderings, we're reminded that God's grace and love remain steadfast. He is the good shepherd who seeks after his lost sheep, ready to guide us back to the fold. It's interesting that the last verse, it brings up the, the idea of God being a shepherd. Part of this psalm, and I'm going to go over this super quick. This psalm teaches us what the Bible is, that the Bible is water for cleansing. It's wealth and treasure. It's a companion and a friend. It's a song that we, to sing. It's honey. It's like honey. It's a lamp and it's a heritage. But then it also teaches us what the Bible does, that it blesses us. It gives us life. It gives us strength. It gives us liberty or freedom. It imparts wisdom. It gives comfort and it gives us direction. So how do we see Jesus in Psalm 119? Let me just mention a few of the ways. Jesus is the word made flesh. You know, Psalm 119 is all about the word. It's, you know, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then in verse 14, and the word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus perfectly loved and kept God's law for us. He's the sinless savior who bore witness to the things of God. He is the way, the truth and the life. He's the source of all blessing and life to those who obey him. He transforms our affections to love God more and more. And then he's the fulfillment of the law. Uh, he teaches us that God's word is all sufficient and reflects the very character of God himself. Okay. With that, I'd like to pause here and Take your comments, questions, or if you have something you would like to share, maybe it's one of the, you know, a different psalm in this section, I would love for you to share it with the group. So. Thanks, Greg. Never really got into the psalms, but this is very interesting. Just being here with you guys helps a lot uh, to listen to maybe struggles you've gone through and struggles that I'm going through that it can help and just to, just to love others which is hard to do. So it keeps me on track and um, coming here is a blessing. So thank you. Thank you all you guys. In the study guide, it says the writer says about 119.19 that he is a stranger on earth. And so he need, he's needed guidance. Almost any long trip requires a map or guide as we travel through life. The Bible should be our roadmap pointing out safe routes, obstacles to avoid, and our final destination. We must recognize ourselves as pilgrims, travelers here on earth who need to study God's map to learn the way. If we ignore the map, we will wander aimlessly through life and risk missing our real destination. So I thought that was pretty neat. And again, I want to thank each and every one of you guys for being here. It's a blessing. It's great. Thanks, Dominic. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to say this is a tremendous group. Uh, as I was reading the Psalms this week with my wife, we sit on our porch and we decided to, you know, since we're studying Psalms here in a church, we decided to go through them. And it, it's a funny thing because I was, I tend to read with my fingers since I have the enlarged print of the Bible. And when I hit verse 125, for some reason, it felt that I needed to stop. So I had my wife print this and put it on my workbench and just says, I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. And that for me is, is you know, I'm still a, a learning Christian, having been raised in a, in a Catholic family, but it just really stuck out to me. Mm. I love that you did that because I think that is so important when we get, when something stands out to us, we need to stop. And we need to underline it. We need to write, we need to, we need to meditate on that. That, that, that's the Holy spirit working in our lives. Amen. Great. Well, Ralph is one of the best ushers at church. I mean, I hope you guys get to know him. Apologies to Ray, but Ralph is a great usher. <laughs>
But what sticks out to me, what's always stuck out to me about 119 is 165. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I just think that more we meditate on the law because we're going to be offended. You know, there's a lot of offenses in this world. And, you know, if, if you study that, but there's two other verses that stuck out to me this week. And just very briefly, 115.3, our God is in heaven. He does all he pleases. 135.6, whatever the Lord pleases, whatever God pleases in heaven and earth, he does it all, right? So whatever pleases God is what he does. And what, what a great testimony that is to us because it pleased him to save us. It pleased him to send Jesus. It pleased Jesus, you know, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So we ought to understand that God is pleased, you know, and there's that scripture and I can't remember where it is, but it's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, you know, that, that really stuck out to me this week that God is pleased with us to give us and to love us as his children. Amen. Question, comment. Growing up in a denomination that was very, very legalistic, and all that was ever laid on me when I was a child and a teenager were legal. Okay, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do that. So when you come down to verse four and you've laid down precepts. I'm wondering, my concept of a precept is the intent of the law. Is that what precepts mean here? And I think sometimes if, if I'm right on that, a lot of times we look at the legal end of it and we say, okay, this is what God says, blah, blah, blah. Instead of looking at the intent of the law, so maybe one of my lawyer friends here can explain precepts. Really, that's a good segue to my point, Doug. Because I, first of all, this is excellent. And one of the ways I like to approach the book of Psalms is I am reading inspired poetry from the pen of God. Mm. And, and it is just so rich, and you brought out many of the riches, but just the first two verses, blessed are the blameless. And that immediately means that there's a division because some people aren't blessed. And the psalmist goes through this talking about how we are blessed if we keep the law, keep the precepts, study, meditate, search for him with the whole heart, as in verse 2. But ultimately, the psalmist comes to the recognition at the end that none of us are that person we experience the blessings of god at times but at the end he ends about saying he's gone astray and as you pointed out that is all of us so doug okay. don't get caught up with precepts and that because guess what you're a sinner <laughs> and you can't keep all the commands but that's what's so Great about it. This psalmist wants with all his heart to follow God, and yet he knows he falls short. But he's still blessed because he pursues him. So, yeah, we're blessed when we try to keep the commands in our imperfect way and the precepts and meditate upon the word with your whole heart. I like that. I think the uh, verses 93 and 94 of... Uh... 119 sums it up. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Then 94, I am yours, save me. So again, I think that goes to what you're saying. You, yeah. The Lord needs to say it. It's, it's yeah. Jesus in the... Yeah. Ray knows. Yeah, go ahead, Ray. In case you've ever heard me say it's a wonderful day, <laughs> it's because of Psalm 118, 24. This is a day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Very good. Very good. Okay, Bob Carl. Uh, I, um, I wanted to point out this time through, uh, I'm preparing to teach Proverbs next week. And as I hit Psalm 118, I thought there's more wisdom in the two-liners 
in Psalm 118 um, than in all of Proverbs. I want to read just a couple of them to show how much wisdom across so many topics is in this one psalm. Um, it starts out, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then down in verse 6, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And then um, verse 8, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And then moving on down to verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness that I might enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. And then down in verse 22, the stone that the bears rejected has become the cornerstone. Of course, that refers to Jesus, but it also refers to each of us who has come to believe. And then finally, verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And then it ends with, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Each one of those two-liners is worth contemplating, and uh, maybe you ought to just <laughs> memorize the whole Psalm 118. Amen. So that's, that's a great comment. Before we move on, Jim Love, why don't you make your way up here, because we're going to sing out this uh, this morning. But we're, no, we still have some comments. We still have room for comments. I want to say something like I'm I'm envious of your presentations <laughs> because if you know Professor Bob, he always has amazing pictures. And I want to apologize this morning that I didn't have great pictures. Yeah, yeah. See, because what happens to me when I search when I search you know for pictures, like I'll I'll, I'll search for a man carrying the ark stumbles, <laughs> and I'll find stuff like this, or or if I'm looking for Balaam's donkey, I'll. I'll, the image that comes up for me is this. I don't know how he finds these pictures for his presentations. And then, or if it's like the road to Emmaus, it's like this. It's like, what is going on? Like, let's stop clowning around. All right. Like, but I do, I, I do. I love the images he has in his presentation. It's, it's, uh, so that was good timing. A couple more comments while Jim is coming up and getting the guitar. And we got, we got, Joe, Joe and Bill. Um, Greg, thank you. It was a great presentation this morning. I, I would be remiss if I didn't remember my uh, good friend, Dr. Bob, in Psalm 139, which is his favorite. And it talks about the intimacy of David with God. He goes, oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my coming in. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you've laid your hand upon me. He later goes on to talk about God knew him when he was woven together in a secret place. And then he says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It talks about this closeness, this intimacy, how well God knows us. For those who say, did God, does God really know me? Does God really care about me? Read Psalm 139. I love that song. I've memorized that as well. The three omnis, right? Omniscience, omnipresence, and, and omnipotent. Yeah, the three omnis. That's, that's great. Bill? It'd be nice to have a God that was always gentle and, you know, just friends. But if you read the Old Testament, in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira knew a God that was sentenced by a God that was New Testament, but we wouldn't consider it gentle or kind or loving. It's just simply they were they did something that offended God. And he, I read Ezekiel this morning, and the way he comes down on the different nations is frightening, if I can use that word, because to be in the hands of an angry God, to quote a preacher that was responsible for the first great awakening. Jonathan Edwards, it's a fearsome thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And then we take away from the fact that he does get angry sometimes, and he sometimes uses people to express that anger, as in the Old Testament with the Psalms and the prophets. Then we take away from what God actually is. History repeats itself, and when you look at today's culture that we all would agree is getting very, very dark, if we look at the first century church, when Paul was preaching, 
and it was very dark, but the excitement of the, of the, of the, of the gospel being spread. But I think when you look at it, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I think in a darker culture like today, that light can shine even brighter. And I think that's our calling card rather than getting, you know, looking at the negatives, look at the positive and our opportunities in a culture that's dying, that doesn't even know the basics about God. There's a couple of these ideas that we need to do in walking with God. So early on in the Psalms, he says, I will run the way of your commandments because you will enlarge my heart. It's this enabling aspect of grace. I can do it because God enlarges my heart. And then later on in the Psalms, he says, I will restrain in that Psalm. He says, I will restrain my feet from e every evil way that I might keep your commandments. So God's enabling power and then self-control. We're supposed to exercise self-control uh, and kind of in a balanced way. God in, uh, enabling my heart, uh, enlarging my heart. I'm exercising self-control and one other element. And that's this. Uh, you might have heard me say, uh, love God and do as you please. Now, that's a kind of outrageous thing. But what does David say? He says, I will walk at liberty because I have sought your precepts. I love you. I'll walk at liberty because I love you. And so you have the enabling power. You have God's, his restraining influence. And then I can walk at liberty because I love you. So uh, it's, it's, it's a microcosm of how to walk with God. And somehow he enables it. So um, how about if I pray? You want me to pray? I'll pray us out. Thank you, God, that you love us for this great psalm, uh, for your enabling power. That, that we can walk, run the way of your commandments because you enlarge our heart. And yet you want us to restrain our feet from sin. And, and so we want to uh, uh, seek you, Lord, love you. And we know as we do that, uh, we can walk in liberty in the Christian life. And so I pray that that would sink deep into us. We would do that this week. And uh, we just rejoice that we have a country that we can seek you freely. And so we celebrate that as well, uh, and, and Independence Day. God bless these men. Bless us. Help us to walk with you today and this week. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.